0: This is a Reconstructionist radio production. Please visit AmericanVision.org to purchase this book or to read other articles. The Bounds of Love An Introduction to God's Law of Liberty by Dr. Joel McDermott Copyright 2016 Published by American Vision Incorporated Epilogue I wrote this little book for two main reasons. First, I want to instruct young, interested readers in the biblical foundations of theonomy in a clear, simple way. Second, I need to address some long, outstanding questions that I believe, quite frankly, have never been clarified. For the first purpose, I think the book speaks for itself. For the second, I have waded into a sort of quote, no man's land unquote, between what, in the past, were unfortunately seen as warring factions. While the vast majority of critics of theonomy past and present have been a knee-jerk and even dishonest variety, a few talented, considerate, and largely sympathetic critics provided careful exegetical responses that took Mosaic law seriously, even for modern civil governments, yet saw biblical theological reasons to drop several of the death penalties and make other modifications. I see my own analysis lining up with a good portion of theirs. Some of the foundational authors of modern theonomy took too much exception to such analysis too readily, and their intransigence, while certainly earnest, led to division rather than scholarly engagement. This hindered the textual exegesis, analysis, and application that remained. The division led some to drop the label, quote, theonomist, unquote, as if another's rejection of their qualifications demanded it. This is unnecessary. Quote, Theonomy unquote, means quote, God's law, unquote. not quote, Greg Bonson's law, unquote, or R.J. Rushdeny's law, unquote, or quote, Gary North's law, unquote, or quote, Joel McDermott's law. Unquote. We are in early stages still of working through detailed exegetical questions and applications. We have learned a ton already, but there is simply more to hash out. Bonson himself made this clear at the outset of his seminal work, Theonomy and Christian Ethics, acknowledging first in the original, quote, preface, unquote, that he had not even attempted to address specific details of God's law, only the formal general obligation to it, and second, that his work left, quote, a great deal to be explored, unquote, and, quote, extensive room for disagreement in the area of exegeting, understanding and applying God's law in specific situations, unquote. Even as late as his last publication on Theonomy, 1991, he admitted he still had not fully worked out his views on the penalty for apostasy, Deuteronomy 17, 2 through 5, and that he had always been open to the fact that it no longer applied in the New Testament. He finished that note saying his conclusions would have to await another book a book he never got the chance to write. I am thankful for the places where Bonson, Rushduny, and others did mention such passages, but I agree that what treatments we have of them have been incomplete. There were others who did not accept, or who no longer accept the label, Theonomy, who did give more detailed treatment to such laws, and after laboring over them myself, I found myself agreeing with them in large part. Nevertheless, the label, quote, theonomy, unquote, is crucial because it is a biblical doctrine. I therefore maintain it and argue that anyone who fits within a simple definition, chapter 2, can bear the label. For this reason, I argue that even theologians such as A.W. Pink can be called theonomic. While I was ridiculed for making this statement in public, the mere fact that Pink demands the modern application of lex talionis makes him by definition a theonomist, even if his theology in other places is inconsistent with that. At worst, we would call him an inconsistent theonomist. What we need now is a renewed conversation of biblical law and its modern applications among those of us who are open to disagreement and discussion, yet see the abiding validity of some Mosaic principles as obligatory for modern governments." From there, we can provide a platform for pulpits to teach and for Christians to engage in godly social reform, criminal justice reform, etc. We need to re-engage the discussion and to do so on the basis of what we have learned so far about theonomy. Summary Conclusion So what have we learned about theonomy in this book? We have learned that love is the summary of the law, and that God's law is the explication and bounds of what love truly is. If we want to display Christian love, we must obey His commandments, meaning His law. We have learned that this love-law principle is embedded in the heart of the New Covenant and the Great Commission. We have learned that there is both continuity and discontinuity in the law. We learned that the Bible itself gives us the principles by which to categorize given laws, parts of laws, or sets of laws as such. The most important of these principles is Carum. By this, we understand that all first table death penalties and sex-related death penalties no longer apply. By this, we understand that stoning was a ritualistic method of death and no longer applies. We have also learned that separation laws no longer apply. These include priestly and temple laws, holy land laws, and seed laws in general. God has removed jurisdiction over these sins from earthly civil governments and transferred it to the throne room of Christ. We learn that the law of proportionate punishment, or lex talionis, is the basic moral principle that lies behind all the penal sanctions. The remaining ones, therefore, are abiding standards and remain obligatory for civil governments today. This includes standards for property rights, contracts, false witness, strictly limited government, and more. When we ask what a theonomic society would look like, we study these remaining laws and answer for ourselves. It would be a society of liberty, free markets, sound money, tiny government, and with church-based and private devotion to charity, sexual purity, family, and worship. From our biblical law platform, there would be strong pushes for homeschooling, dismantling the welfare-warfare state, dismantling the military-industrial complexes, criminal justice reform, and much more in relation to the spread of peace and free markets. Such a vision will sound like a utopian dream to many who are encultured by modern times and establishments, and for whom thinking outside of that box is fearful or encumbered by the limitations of their ideas of practicality. Certainly such a society is a long way off, but when we begin to inquire as to how it could ever come to pass, we can only derive great encouragement from Scripture. The Great Commission demands that we hold forth such a dream, and the power of the Holy Spirit demands that we dare not think it could not come to pass. In this light, therefore, we follow our mandate to disciple the nations in all of Christ's law and trust that the Holy Spirit will bring to pass what He will in his time we can easily look around and find any of several places to begin kingdom work and then get to it finally we have learned that top-down social orders punishments for first table religious offenses and top-down agendas for social change do not comport with the teachings of theonomy those who wish therefore merely to christianize the establishment compromise with it for the sake of advance establish an alleged Christian state, not bound by the abiding strictures of the civil law, or who think that Christians can merely grab existing seats of power and institute change, cannot be considered theonomic. While a few such people in history have appealed to Moses here or there, most have merely adapted pagan Roman law, variations of it, institutions created by it, or other pagan bases and the results have been not only unjust, but disastrously so. Young theonomists should take from this book a helpful foundation upon which to build an agenda for study, advance, engagement in culture, and activism. The old guard has hopefully found clarification and an advance in applicational method by which to refine their endeavors along the same lines, perhaps start new ones, and perhaps rejoin old and forgotten dialogues. We badly need all of this today. Having a fairly common foundation and a common desire will help get the message of comprehensive reformation back in our pulpits and pews, and then society and state houses once again. Bibliographic Essay I am almost embarrassed to call this a, quote, bibliographic essay, unquote, because those are usually quite long, populated with dozens of works and aimed at leading the reader into the mainstream of scholarly literature on the subject. This contribution will be brief in comparison and is mostly aimed, I confess, at absolving myself of the charge of plagiarism of those works to which I am surely indebted. There are a handful of such writers upon whom I have relied and whom I have appropriated liberally for several observations. They deserve all the credit in every case and I here surrender it to them fully. Perhaps the most important work for this book has been Gary North's four-volume economic commentary on Leviticus. Particularly, it is his, quote, conclusion, unquote, to that work found in volume three, which outlines the categories of discontinuity, priestly laws, land laws, seed laws. Gary reproduces and in some degree expands upon his views in his answer to Verne, in Theonomy and Inform Response, Tyler, Texas, Institute for Christian Economics, 1991, pages 255-294. through 294. I enlarge Gary's terminology a bit, but replicate his conclusions almost exactly. Then, after studying his exegesis, I read the recent translation of Joannes Piscator, Disputations on the Judicial Laws of Moses, Powder Springs, Georgia, American Vision Press, 2015. Piscator is less detailed, but his applications of continuity and discontinuity are almost identical to North's later but independent exegesis. I was so impressed with Piscator that I bought the rights to the translation and published it through American Vision. While I disagree with him at points, his work should be required reading for students. If the congruity with North is not enough, the fact that his work is cited by Westminster divines, Puritans up until the American constitutional era, as well as Reformed Baptists like John Gill, ought to persuade you of its importance. I have certainly made use of R.J. Rushtuni's Institutes of Biblical Law, although I cannot off the top of my head recall where I have explicitly employed it. Nevertheless, it will always be an influence, will always merit consulting on any issue, even if I end up disagreeing, and is required reading in the field of theonomy. The same is true of his commentaries, particularly on Deuteronomy and Exodus 21-23. through 23. I have taken some of the distinctions and examples regarding, quote, non-binding commandments, unquote, pages 31-33 through 33 above, from Greg Bonson in Theonomy and Christian Ethics, 3rd edition, Nacogdoches, Texas, Covenant Media Press, 2002, paragraph 26, note 13. While I think Bonson's category of, quote, standing laws, unquote, was primitive and needed much development, his distinction is nevertheless as decent a place to start as any, so I use it. I found particularly inspiration in one of Bonson's lesser-known works, a reply to Aiken Taylor, quote, God's Law and Gospel Prosperity, a reply to the editor of the Presbyterian Journal, unquote. I have taken from his section refuting Taylor's, quote, test by details, unquote, as well as his long paragraph highlighting some of the practical outworkings of theonomic polity. This inspired me to create my own chapter, quote, what it would look like, unquote. In addition to Bonson, I also gleaned a beginning outline from John Calvin's Harmony of the Four Last Books of Moses. Two non-theonomists deserve special mention, after reading some of their contributions in comparison to my own conclusions here, I would, in fact, rather describe them both as almost theonomists, rather than non-theonomists, for we are virtually on the same page. The two are John Frame and Verne Pothras. Frame's relevant contribution is his article, quote, Toward a Theology of the State, unquote, originally in Westminster Theological Journal, 51 1989 199-226 more important than this, however, is Pothrus's fairly thorough book The Shadow of Christ and the Law of Moses Phillipsburg, New Jersey Presbyterian and Reformed 1995 while I disagree with some of his conclusions I find myself agreeing in most cases This now 25-year-old work makes a great beginning point for further discussion, and quite frankly should have spawned such discussion seriously years ago. This discussion needs to inquire why that, even if preachers are not preaching, quote, theonomy, unquote, from reformed pulpits today, they are at least not preaching the almost theonomy of Pothras that all would agree is safely orthodox and badly needed. I would be the first to promote such a course of action. I have also benefited from the lot of the studies in James B. Jordan's books, The Law of the Covenant, and Exposition of Exodus 21-23, through 23, Tyler, Texas, Institute for Christian Economics, 1984, and Through New Eyes, Developing a Biblical View of the World, Brentwood, Tennessee, Algamuth and Hyatt, 1988. I cannot say at this point where I have referenced them specifically or substantially, but they are both important contributions from which I have benefited and which stand behind my understanding and exegetical methods in some respects. In developing my views on harem, I found JPU Lilly's article quote, understanding the Harem unquote. Tyndale Bulletin forty four one 1993, pages one hundred and sixty nine through one hundred seventy seven extremely helpful especially in its systematic examination of every instance of the word in the Bible. For some of the history in Chapter 7, I relied upon several works. Most are footnoted. Among those not footnoted, I must mention the magisterial work on early Christianity by W.H.C. Friend, The Rise of Christianity, Philadelphia, Fortress Press, 1984. I have especially relied upon the sections on Diocletian, Galerius and the Constantinian shift. I also read Will Durant's narratives in this era, which is always a good idea for pleasure if nothing else, but usually for profit also. On the persecutions waged by the post-Constantinian emperors, there is a particularly helpful Wikipedia article, No Lie, with good footnotes to follow. On the vast array of death penalties these fellows instituted, there is no substitute for reading the Code of Justinian itself. An English translation can be found online for those who wish to start the journey. I learned most of the history behind Luther and Melanthon while doing my doctoral research a few years back. The settlement from the Diet of Spire, 1529, is found in the masterful work by G. H. Williams, the Radical Reformation, Kirksville, Missouri, Truman State University Press, 1992, page 355. Their use of Justinian to justify executing Anabaptists is found in Martin Brecht, Martin Luther, The Preservation of the Church, 1532-1546, through 1546. Trans. James L. Schaff, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Fortress Press, 1993, pages 36-37, and John S. Oyer, Lutheran Reformers Against Anabaptists, Luther, Melanthon, and Menius, and the Anabaptists of Central Germany, The Hague, Martinus Niehoff, 1964, pages 173 through 174. If there is any work I have failed to acknowledge, I can only plead forgiveness. I can certainly think of no others at this point, but I hope the spirit of this little essay shows I am more than willing to acknowledge those from whom. I have freely borrowed and benefited. If I have forgotten any, I humbly repent. Further, all my influences will be relieved to know that whatever errors persist in my work do not derive from them in any way. I claim them for my own. Finally, readers must not mistake this brief exculpatory essay for a recommended reading list. For that, you must visit my article, quote, a Christian Reconstruction Reading List unquote, Found at http americanvisionorg 10858 Christian Reconstruction Reading List For just a start Do not be shocked if updates to this list follow So visit frequently This audio version of Bounds of Love An Introduction to God's Law of Liberty By Joel McDermott has been produced by Reconstructionist Radio and narrated by Shelby Luke. Please visit AmericanVision.org to purchase a hard copy of this book or to read
1: more articles. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things but if we fail to put them into practice then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed where all of the content we produce including the audiobooks and audio articles will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit